Hi, I'm Susanna, and this is The Susanna Gibbs Show. If you want to know more about Daniel Roby, Austin Street Shelter, or homelessness in Dallas, head over to our sponsors page, GibbAgencyDallas.com. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Susanna Gibb, owner of Gibb Insurance Services. Yes, I am the same person. We have over 25 years of experience serving Texas families and businesses for all of their home, auto, health, life, and business insurance needs. But because we rebranded two years ago, Google has us on page 10 of their search engine. So any click to our website is a big help. Go to GibAgencyDallas.com for quotes, to learn more about our agency, see the behind the scenes of this podcast, and to tell us what you think of our show. And now, on with the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. All right. Today, I have Daniel Roby. He has tirelessly worked as the CEO of Austin Street Shelter since 2015. And in 2018, Dallas Business Journal selected him as one of their top 40 under 40. And under their leadership, they have doubled their case management. And in June of this year, they opened their new facility to serve even more clients. So in 2021, you served 1,489 clients. What's 2022 looking like so far? So we've already surpassed that number for sure. We're at about the 1600 mark and we still have a number of months to get to the rest of the year. So, you know, there's a lot of people that need help right now. There's a lot of people who are making phone calls to get help, a lot more doing that, uh, more people showing up at the shelter. So I go through some more stats later, but it's, um, it, it is a, we're at a unique point in time in Dallas with homelessness and what direction it ends up taking. So. You always have good stories. Will you tell me one of your client stories? So I got one I'm thinking about um, is a guy who st- it started painfully and ended up wonderfully. A guy who we had winter storm Uri. I think everyone remembers like the entire like electric grid in Texas just completely shut down. The city was essentially frozen over. Uh, but there's one individual who was staying on a front porch during that season. He got really bad frostbite. He was probably about 20 years old, still pretty young. And he ended up in the hospital with his frostbite and he lost both of his legs. Oh no. And so he was outside and um, that's just the heater ended up falling on his legs when he was asleep and he had frostbite. So he didn't realize it got infected. It was a whole thing. Fast forward a little bit though, this individual shows up at our uh, shelter and um, after the amputation gets enrolled in our medical respite program. Medical respite's like this new partnership that we're super excited about because we always feel like, hey, we're good at doing what we do, like emergency shelter, right? Food, clothing, you know, housing support, all that. But there's all kinds of stuff that we don't do. You know, I'm not a doctor. I don't staff a hospital. I can't, you know, there's a certain limit to our capabilities. So I'm always trying to figure out how do we get those folks connected to us and Texas Health Resources, Dallas, the Presbyterian shelter on uh, Walnut Hill had really linked arms with us and said, hey, you know, we'd like to be partners with you guys for folks who are leaving the hospitals. So we have this project together. We've got nursing on staff. We've got a doctor that comes by once a week. You know, we have a community health care worker that supports it as well. And, um, you know, so he, he joined the medical respite program. But what was cool about that is you know, without any, you know, financial resources, he doesn't know anybody. He's new to homelessness in general, not new to struggle, but new to homelessness. He, he, we were able to get him fitted with um, prosthetic legs during that time. 
he uh, learned to walk navigating the shelter at Austin Street, learned to walk again, and eventually um, was able to move into uh, his own place and with some support from case management staff, uh, got employed and um, essentially is, you know, is back on his feet. He's living a productive, healthy life that can impact others. I cannot tell you extraordinary, extraordinary human being in his joy and confidence. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling you what I consider to be a sad story, but if you would have seen him, I mean, he was like the happiest guy in the shelter. And I don't know what it is about him that gave him that sense of confidence and joy. He had his hard moments, but anyway, I'm super impressed by him. I'm like, I don't know that I would have the courage to go through what he has, you know, with his sense of determination and confidence. What's a, what's a typical day look like for you in the shelter? Because they roll, they're not there 24 hours, right? You get like a new batch of people. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've gone through this shift during, uh, during COVID where you know, we've always been what's called a night by night shelter, just meaning that people come in every night and they leave in the morning and then we clean the place and kind of go through the same process again in the afternoon. COVID kind of hit the shock to us because the county health department was like, listen, the, the differences in people that you're getting on a night by night basis, you're going to cause, you know, potential, um, yeah. you know, a spread or infection issue. So they said, Hey, you know, at least during this COVID pandemic, you need to lock down and just, just, um, serve the same people. So we did that. Well, when we moved to our new building, we we're able to expand capacity, both case management services, number of shelter beds, we provided all that. So we moved to what's called the entry exit shelter, which means once you come to Austin street, you're ours until we find you a place. Oh, and, wow. And I didn't know that. It allows for a sense of stability because usually people are they're trying to navigate a lot, right? They're in the midst of right. their their cri- their housing crisis for sure. Usually, that also means financial crisis and relational crisis, and sometimes mental health crisis or addiction crisis. So, as you're managing all that, uh, it's good to have. Do you feel like that's helped? you get people placed because you have them for longer? Yeah, no, I, I do think that's true. I, I think, um, sure, I could probably count, you know, w- the, during our peak prior to COVID, we probably served more individuals than than we we probably will this past, you know, in 2021, we would have. Mm-hmm. 2019 or 2018, our numbers may have been higher, but our outcomes wouldn't have been. And when I say that, it's just like, what is the goal you're trying to serve? Like, certainly it's like to provide safe shelter, basic needs, food, clothing, all that. But isn't it really more than that? I mean, isn't it really that we provide hope that something different is possible for people and that we actually take them all the way through the journey so that they get to turn that key and open that door to their own place and say, this is mine now. Mm-hmm. And if that's the ultimate goal, well, um, I think what we do now is much more effective. Oh, that's exciting. Good for you guys. That's mm-hmm. good. What's a good day look like for you when you come home and you're like family mm. at dinner? I had a really good day. What's that day yeah. look like? <laughs> um, man, you're, you're bringing a smile to my face because that, that family dinner time is like one of my favorites. You know, at the end of every day, usually my beginning day, I'm like packed with the administration. How are we dealing with, you know, budgets? What are the operational problems? Staffing? How are we doing all this different stuff? But the last hour of my day is like my favorite because that's when I go in the shelter and I just spend time with people. Today was actually especially fun. Yeah, you'll get a kick out of this. So I was wondering, like, how do we increase like a sense of positivity? Because it's a depressing circumstance to be in. So 
So some of us do random stuff today. I blew up this massive beach ball, right? And so I go into the shelter and I just yell, like I said, hey guys. And I just hit the beach ball out, you know, at mm. this like crowd of people. And people just start, one guy knocks it this way and someone else knocks it the other way. And they kind of, people immediately just think, oh, let's just keep it in the air, right? And so, and you see smiles on people's faces and they're laughing and it's like that brief moment of like, Hey, you know, at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we all want a sense of like joy and fun in the midst of whether it's, you know, your work or whether your work is to try to get out of your circumstance. Uh, so that was fun today. What's, all right, I'm going to flip the script because what's hey. a bad day look like mm. for you yeah. with just the nature of what you have, what you are doing for people. It's not all roses. You're going to make me sad because for me, the bad day and you know, we could go into this psychologically, but is when I feel like, you know, I wasn't enough today. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to be like at the end of the day today, I had to decide between an 80 year old man going through cancer treatment, who's disabled in a wheelchair and a 35 year old mom who's going to work and trying to get her kids back from the state. And I could only give a bed to one of them. Like mm -hmm. that sense of not enough is like, is, is really not fun. I was looking at some statistics of this because social, and I don't know your specific, I'm going to go generic. Social work burnout rates are 39% and a lifetime burnout rate of 75%. Mm -hmm. Is that something you guys talk about? like with your staff? I mean, how do you manage that? Is it part of the discussion with what you do? You know, it's something that we've worked hard at. And frankly, we need to do a lot more for. It's hard because you feel like, well, no matter how much we do, like, I mean, it's it's difficult to sustain. You know, there's a statistic I saw recently, emergency shelter frontline staff members, you know, have more incidences of post-traumatic stress disorder from their work experience than police officers and in, um, in the fire department who have dedicated lines and, and resources. Now, I'm not at all saying that that's adequate. I think we need to do a lot more for our police officers. We deal with a lot of the same population. But that's just to show that, like, I think emergency shelter workers are kind of forgotten in that whole first responder group of people and that it's a group that goes through just as much and um, sees traumatic circumstances. There was some, uh, this isn't our agency, but another agency in town and literally this week, they were in a homeless encampment and found somebody who uh, was not alive. Mm. Um, and so that that shocking experience uh, and how you deal with discovering that somebody has died outside and what that does to you psychologically was it was is intense. And it wasn't the first time this group had seen that, and unfortunately, it probably won't be the last. How do you keep from? Like you've got this extreme need of your clients and the example you used earlier, you can help the 80 year old man, you can help the 35 year old mom and you have to do your job and be empathetic and not become calloused at the same time. You got to wear an armor of protection and yet be open at the same time. How is, how yeah. does that? I mean, that's, that's the work, right? That, that, <laughs> and that is the job. Brene Brown actually says this. Well, I think she says like strong backs off front. You know, mm. it's the same thing that we have to be super consistent and structured in what we do because it, it's not right that another human being gets to decide whether or not you are safe and whether your basic needs are met, food, clothing, shelter, 
I shouldn't be deciding that for somebody else, right. right? You shouldn't be deciding that for another human. That That's really more power than I feel like God intended us to have to be able to make that decision for other people. But that's where we are, right? So we have to figure out how are we going to work together? So I have a, um, a security officer who's focused on safety, meeting with an operational staff member, meeting with the uh, the client's advocate, so the person who's responsible for advocating for them. And so we make sure that all those voices are, he- are heard before we make any uh, decision about somebody. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna dip a little bit. We're gonna talk about two things you're not supposed to talk about. I want to talk about okay. religion. And then I want to talk about okay. politics. <laughs> okay, great. Awesome. You I'm, tell I'm me game. if I've crossed a line. But no, you, I have no lines. <laughs> <laughs> I saw um, a post that you made. It was recently and it was a passage that was resonating with you. I don't remember the passage. It was not, it's not on my questions, but you said something. You mentioned God. And I was like, oh, I want to ask him about that because... It seemed like from your just your post, your faith is a really big part of your everyday life and what you do. And well, I think for me, so when I first got a chance to meet with the board and talk about this role, I just laid it out for them. I was like, "Hey, I have to like I have to do this as a part of my faith. So if you need something that's devoid of faith, like I'm not your guy, like." we can't go down this journey together. It's like an ultimatum for me. People who are going through the experience of homelessness are looking for hope and they're looking for a message of inspiration and everyone's journey is different, uh, but we have to make room for that. I think if we remove faith from the conversation, then you're removing people from their opportunity to be able to, uh, to have hope. Personally, I would rather talk about religion any day than politics. I find it so fascinating as long as, you know, we can find that middle ground of allowing multiple beliefs. But how much do you have to deal with Dallas city politics? I engage with with government officials every single day. So there's okay. never a time when I'm not talking with somebody. In my in my work, we get super practical. Like I it is all about like getting stuff done because if you don't like somebody may die you know and so mm-hmm. with that in mind you know and it's so hard sometimes to get stuff done um that you know we uh, i feel like we have to have everyone in the conversation to move the ball forward so you know i tend to be a little bit of a centrist in that regard because i think that's the only place where you can get yeah uh, people from from both sides does the money that you get from Dallas shift based on who's in power? Not based on who's in power. I would say one, we don't really get money from the city. Everything else that we get that goes through the city is really maybe state funds or maybe federal funds that go through the city, but it's not actually from the city budget. Is that normal? That the city, it's like the homelessness problem is here in Dallas. Why Mm -hmm. is Dallas not contributing to the fix? Yeah, I think Dallas has historically taken a, hey, you know, we want to be, you know, low tax environment. And there's usually been so much kind of underfunding of things like, you know, the police and things like that, that that the the issue with homelessness is it impacts everybody, but we just don't realize it. How do we compare as far as how we deal with homelessness than other cities? Like if you had to give Dallas a grade or a ranking, Mm -hmm. how are we doing? 
Well, we do it very differently than other cities do. Interesting. The homeless populations can be different based upon a city and state. So the response is also very different. So I can say like Dallas is super rare that we have large emergency shelters like Austin Street. They don't exist in other cities. It's, it's super rare to be able to find a shelter that has two, three, four, five hundred people in it. That just that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. That's a great resource. It's also something you have to be cautious of because the goal is not to shelter people, right? It's to get them to their own place. Other cities have invested more on things like permanent supportive housing and Dallas right now needs to catch up to where they are. So that's some, one thing that Dallas is working on. Uh, rapid rehousing is, is a, a rental assistance uh, is something else that Dallas has recently gotten super involved with, but hasn't historically been. So there's actually been 580 people in this most recent program that the, the mayor helped to sponsor called the Dallas Real-Time Rapid Rehousing Program that was in partnership with the county and several other cities and neighboring areas. And that, that was a $72 million project, and it's been very successful. I mean, we've got, you know, like I said, uh, about 600 people off the streets and into a home and got another... 400 that are kind of queued up and are just trying to find a place that will accept their their subsidy. So you, you talked about permanent supportive housing. Would that be a city project? It could be and it should be. Um, you know, a permanent supportive housing project basically means it's a place to live with support. It's really for people who have disabilities. So it's not intended for people who are employable and can just go out and get a job. It's for people who are like, hey, these people are going to need help for a while. You know, and if you've got a situation where someone has a mental illness, um, they're handicapped, confined to a wheelchair, right? They have a developmental disability, and we have people who have all three of those things. That's going to be very difficult for them to be able to get a living wage, you know, that they're actually able to pay rent with. Um, because I'm not talking about minimum wage. I'm talking about somebody who, you know, living wage based on MIT is almost $18 an hour in Dallas right now. Um, and so that's... Um, that's not every job. How much has the housing, the increased cost of housing affected? I mean, because you talk about $18 an hour. Can can you live on $18 an hour? Um, or that's what it takes to live? That's what now? it takes to live in Dallas. Okay. Know, to get a one bedroom, it takes $18 an hour. We are, uh, Dallas, I mentioned that we're in this like pivoting like place in time. And the reason for that mm -hmm. is um, because- Dallas historically, you know, we just will grow out, right? We build out Frisco and McKinney and Prosper. We just keep building, you know, Wiley, Saxon. Melissa, keep, Anna, Yeah, just yeah. Keep, keep going. We've gotten to a point where enough companies are moving here, enough people are moving here for various reasons. You know, we've seen a 22% increase since the pandemic in March of 2020. That is not sustainable. So we were looking at units that we would help provide subsidy for, that were like $800 a pop. Now I can't find anything less than 1200 anything, anywhere. And then I got to find someone who also may accept someone who has a criminal background. Hmm. Okay. A lot of the money to run the shelter comes from people giving money, but you also have a ton of people who come in mm -hmm. to serve mm -hmm. your clients. There's an argument. I've, I've talked to a couple people and there's an argument and you, you look at like volunteerism, for example. Yeah. And they're like really down on volunteerism. They're like, no, no, no. Don't go and spend your vacation. Just send yeah. your money. Where do you, how do you land or do you have to navigate that? I, argument? I do. Um, frankly, a lot of it comes down to the way in which you approach volunteerism. And I mean that both the individual and the organization. Like 
you have to protect your mission against well-intentioned individual donors that want to give to something specific. And I'm like, okay, well, I've been through this before, right? And I know how it works. And if you give someone a key and a door, it doesn't make it a home. You know, you actually have to make it a home for someone. You have to help them rebuild their relationships. We at Austin Street, we say financial need or poverty plus a crisis minus social support is what makes homelessness. So if you just solve the financial issue, you didn't solve the issue, right? If you just solve whatever the crisis is, you didn't solve the issue, right? You need, you need the support of the community, right? You need to be able to manage the crisis that's in front of them and need to ultimately address the math, you know, which is, you know, the cost of housing. If you had a choice, say, let's just go with a hundred dollars. If I said, Hey, Daniel, I will either write you a hundred dollar check or I will come and serve dinner for, I don't know, a week. What would you pick? Mm, that's tough. The challenge with these difficult questions is I only know how to be honest. So, um, <laughs> in that well, I wouldn't want you to give me a fake answer. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, so the answer to your question is in that circumstance, I'll say um, I'd like the $100. So that's why I'm saying right. with volunteerism, like we need the community to come and serve meals. That's like super critical. But I, it is, it's not impossible to pick up the phone and have somebody show up for dinner. Like that's, but what's the most valuable thing we have? I mean, it's our time. And so volunteering at a place like Austin Street or going to a place with the guy that's on a corner and saying, hey, let's sit down and share a meal together, you get a chance to hear that guy's story. And that's more valuable than anything. Because you take somebody to lunch, you'll get the real deal. They'll take off whatever it is that they hustle on the corner and, uh, and you'll, you'll hear the truth. And, um, and some of those stories, man, they've, uh, they stick with you. I admire all the work that you do. The work that you do is super important. You do it with grace and you always seem to have a smile on your face when I see you. Is there anything else that you want to talk about that I didn't touch on? I guess I do. I'm thinking about the question because I've never had someone ask me if, if you'll take $100 versus come and serve a meal before. <laughs> and um, I think I want to change my answer. Okay. And the reason why I'm changing it is not because the 100 Dollars is easier to deploy for good, but you can't replace the experience of face-to-face contact with someone who's homeless. You'll give $100 without even thinking about it. <laughs> so you end up getting both anyway. How do you argue human experience and being with people and yeah. connecting? And You can't replace somebody who got to know someone else who's homeless, has heard their story and said, man, that's just not right. I don't care how you slice it. We have to switch the mentality of giving. But if we can continue that engagement of community as a part of giving and encourage people to yes, vote, yes, share on social media, yes, give, yes, volunteer, and then give them that uh, those experiences, I think they'll treat other people differently and then you'll walk away different. So then, then we just help two people, right? We helped you, you got to volunteer and we got to help the person who was in need too. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for your work. You're so awesome. Thanks for doing this. And we didn't get a chance to talk about you and why you're passionate about this. This isn't my place to ask questions, but you mentioned Housing Crisis Center. I know you've done good things for other people. And so, um, you know, next time, let's make sure we get a chance to cover that. Absolutely. On the next episode of The Susanna Gibbs Show, we have artist Nick Nicosia. This Texan's work is included in many permanent collections around the United States. If you'd like to connect with us, go to gibagencydallas.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
Thanks again, and we look forward to being with you again soon.